1: Slightly favours the
0: right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again! Oh.
1: Quick-father it, don't know, long we over, oh, what a goal!
2: what oh. oh. Fletcher! It's Lucius McCulloch, saved it in! Barry Ferguson does this again!
1: We're nearly there, one day, until kick-off between Scotland and Czech Republic in our opening game of Group D in the European Championship. I can't believe that there's only 24 hours between us and kick-off. I'm joined by Andy Lane from Alba Matter and Gordon Shiach from the Tartan Scarf. So we're going to do our final preview pod, I feel like we've been doing them for months and we have from the On The Plane series and then we had the World Cup qualifiers in March and Looking ahead to the Euros, well, this will be the final one and the rest of them will be reviews and, and seeing how we get on through the tournament. So let's discuss what we want to see from Scotland against the Czech Republic tomorrow. There, there is probably only a few places up for grabs in Steve Clark's team. We know this and I think Clark has not been shy in letting us know that he is very confident in what he thinks is his strongest side. But there's still a few question marks over a few places in the squad so let's see how we can fill them. We don't want any square pegs and round holes, or vice versa. So, Gordon, where, or where do we still need to find answers in Steve Clark's team?
0: I think the biggest question to answer right now. Um, I think you've obviously alluded to the fact that the, the starting eleven does feel very settled. I think I put out just put out on my Twitter and Instagram what I think the starting eleven is going to be on Monday, and I'd be very surprised if I don't get at least ten of those names bang on correct, come two o'clock Monday. I think the biggest question to answer is what approach we're gonna take going into this game. I mean, obviously, you know, people always like to say, you know, play the game, not the occasion, but it will be very difficult for these players to do that given that this is arguably the pinnacle of a lot of their careers. This is the biggest moment they'll ever have walking out with their country at a major finals. It's something that they've all dreamed of since they were wee boys. Most of them, a lot of them weren't alive the last time Scotland played at a major finals. And I think the biggest thing I want to see is that we go out and we play with the earned confidence that the team deserves, that the players deserve, that the system we have, the manager we've got. We should be going into this with confidence. And, you know, I think I take a lot of confidence in the, the friendly that we had against the Netherlands where... We went out against them, and especially in the first half, we seemed to, we played the 11 we were up against, not the reputation, because it would be so, so easy to go out, look at those orange kits and think, oh God, Schneider, Van Persie, Van Basten, and and just collapse, because they are, are, you know, European football royalty. We didn't do that. We went out and we went toe-to-toe with them and said, no, we're good enough. We can play you. We can beat you. And... The Czech public have been to many major finals in recent years. Their qualification record is incredible, to be honest. But this isn't the team of Collar, Nedved, Baros. So let's treat them with the respect they deserve, but let's not treat them with too much com- too much
1: respect on the day. Uh, and that's that's what I want to see. We fly out the traps. Let's go. Let's get them. Uh, feels uh, feels mandatory to mention, Gordon, that we're in the presence of extreme ingenuity here in the podcast with Mister Andy Lang with uh, his collaborative effort with the SFA the other night. Congratulations on that, Andy. What a a superb piece of work. Uh, Tell us how that came about just before we come to you on uh, the Scotland stuff.
2: Oh, man. Um, Well, thanks for having me back, Andy. Nice to see you again. Um, Aye, so how did it come about? Right, you know that the rag that must not be named, their headline, the Who headline? See, when that came out... um, so as, as some people know, like, I've, I've got ongoing medical stuff at the moment and I'm having extended time off work for the first time in about a decade. So this is why I'm kind of into, like, basically that's how matter came about, right? For those who don't know, it, it's like me filling time to not do Death by YouTube or Netflix and actually do something productive. So um, this was one of those moments where I, I shouldn't have been triggered by it, but I totally was. <laughs> I... I as I do, every time I get frustrated or angry, I just went away and started started writing. So I, I wrote it in about a half an hour, sent it to Finn with some music behind it. He was in the bus in London and was like, it's amazing, man. I can I can see all the visuals forming in my mind. And I was like, right, okay. So, because he's a really good barometer for me, because he's... This is Finley Marks. Finley Marks, aye. So he's... Finn's a good... I, I keep talking about him, man. Honestly, I should get royalties or something. But um, he kind of really helped me in Albemarle and has helped me in Albemarle. And he's a really good barometer for just telling me if something's crap or if something's half decent. So he was like, no, 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 I can see this forming. And then between us, we just kind of chatted. He ended up throwing the video. I knew the video would be amazing. I mean, Finn's works astoundingly good. So um, I knew it would be good. And then we just asked if if they'd be interested. And and they were. and really, that that's it. That's, that's as simple as that. Um, it fell out of me in like half an hour, um, in response to a sun headline. <laughs> it
0: was. I've got. I've got. I've got. I've got to say, Jandy, it was absolutely sensational. I mean, there has obviously been a slew, a tsunami of Scotland-related content. I mean, frankly, we're making some right now <laughs> in the run up to this Euros, and rightly so. It's great to see the nation excited, but I don't know if I've seen a piece of content that has just nailed the mood. And the feeling and like I alluded to earlier just the ambition that this team has got that you know Mm. this isn't about you know if you remember back to back to the turn of the year I sort of started a little crusade I had a little rant on this program where I talked about the concept of glorious failure and how I thought it was defeatist and awful and it had held us back for years and I wanted it finished the new thing that I want to do I was thinking over the last couple of days the word hope I hate it I don't want us to use that anymore I I just don't because to me, the word hope is about it's relying on external sources out with your control. Oh, I hope the referee is kind to us. I hope their best player has a has a shocker. We don't need to do that because you know we we can be so confident in what we're bringing—the players, the manager, the attitude, the system—and I think that's exactly what your what your video just absolutely nailed. Like I said earlier, it's this earned confidence this team's got. And I remember I was sitting there watching your video, and it was like. It was like my insides were turning to fire I was like what is this feeling (laughs) it's burning up inside me so you 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 touched me so and I'm sure you touched many people who watched that that's
2: that's high praise indeed man do you know I that really is amazing because obviously I respect what you guys do so it's it's nice to hear that it's it's nice to hear from folk and it's weird like my pals from back home again they're they're brilliant to just tell me up front if something's (laughs) Good our crap, you know what I mean? Like, it You can't hide from who you were growing up and stuff. So they, um my mate who I used to write songs with, right like punk songs. Used to write the lyrics together, and I've always really valued his opinion. And he got back and he was like, "See when you see when you said uh, more of the quality, I got goosebumps." And I was like, "Right, cool," because that's like the right in the middle of the poem. And yep. to get back to what you're saying, I think. So I believe this about I mean Scottishness in general, right? That we should be excellent. Like we, we we should achieve excellence, we should pursue excellence, and just you know, it shouldn't be like a cheap knockoff or look like a cheap knockoff or something like that. Do you know what I mean? I think we're yeah, let's just rid ourselves of that entirely mm-hmm. and and aim for the top. So yeah, that's that's what we did. And getting Pat Nevin on board was just amazing, man. He was genuinely my favourite player in Euro ninety-two. He said, reason I went outside and tried to beat people in the wing, you know? Yeah. So to, to chat to him was just like mental, just how, absolutely how mental. Up, and so, if
0: I can ask, how, how, how did you end up doing the sort of like a, the division of labor on the, the voiceover? Cause obviously you seem to take the lion's share. So fair play managing to do that over a guy like that. Was, that,
2: was, that was time. That was just yeah. time. So <laughs> Pat get back to us and we're like we at a week to turn that around basically. And he's, He's the nicest man, honestly. He's just, if you listen to Football Kit Memories Pod with him, brilliant listening. Like, um, and he's just the nicest guy. So he really is every bit of what you think he's going to be when you chat to him. And um, I don't, have you had him on this, Andy? Before? Yeah, I've interviewed Pat Nevin on this Yeah, Looking Aye. For Scotland Days, yeah, really good. Cool. So um, I'll, I'll need to go and check that one out. I haven't, mm. I haven't heard that one. But yeah, just, I don't know if you found the same, but just he, he's got lots of time for you. Yeah, he's very
1: accommodating. Went out his way Absolutely. to uh, to, uh, to make sure that he could, could meet up, and he's obviously got a very busy schedule with all his work with
2: Five Live and, and whatever down south. So yeah, right. I mean, he had the best excuses going. Do you know what I mean? He's like, "I've only got two minutes because I'm about to be off the ball, or I'm only get two minutes because <laughs> yeah. just well, on Five book, live. He's got he's got a book to sell, now, doesn't he? He's, uh, like, yeah. he's on the rounds. So anyway, but what, what, I think Pat kind of hits the nail on the head as well because he was one of these fearless footballers who just wanted to show a bit of flair and show no fear Mm -hmm. that's why he was so good for Chelsea and Everton and and Scotland but he was in a very competitive Scotland side wasn't he and kind of was um hard to get in there so yeah he won the penalty against the CIS in Euro 92 that Gary McAllister converted and then Gary McAllister became a bit my favorite player so (laughs) sorry but but you know it's that kind of uh Pursuit of excellence—that's really what was behind it, and that's what I think. I think all three of us feel the same about not focusing too much on the checks, showing them respect, but actually, we've got a crack inside. Like we've got a really good team um, with with lots of opportunity there to to cause problems for them. So yeah,
1: let's 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 just stay on this topic just before we move on to the intricacies and the machinery of the lineup that Clark might uh, might choose. A question came in from Air Force One. Again is a really good Twitter account to follow, constant updates on the Scotland squad. Um, he's asking if the repeated referral of Glorious Failure or, or any reference to historic negativity, does that still harm the team? Or are we now at a stage where that is so far in the rear view mirror that it's quite irrelevant? I would I would like to think that it is
0: seen as an irrelevance. Like I, I, you know, certainly when when we qualified that night in Belgrade, um about I don't know God, two o'clock in the morning that night, I certainly tweeted, you know, glorious failure, 1998, 2020, that era is over, it's finished. So it is now a complete thing, it's in the past. So we do have to learn from history. You know, you can't just pretend your history doesn't exist. You can look back on it, you can reflect on it, you can learn from it, but just make sure you're not defined by it. And I think now that that monkey is off the back, the players, certainly from what you're hearing from the camp, they're, mo- they're coming into this tournament with absolutely no pressure whatsoever. And I'm actually just reading the the very excellent book um, by Stephen Lothler about the Scotland women's national team. And Mm. a lot of that stuff goes along the same route as well because they had, time after time, they got to playoffs for major finals and fell agonisingly short of qualifying. And they were almost like, when is this ever going to happen for us? And then finally, when it did, they could then just rise and rise because that pressure was gone. The accumulated pressure of the multiple failures had just dropped off them. And you would certainly like to think that that's where this team are at right now that they can feel like they can achieve anything because they've already achieved they've already done what what so many teams before them couldn't do
1: and your growth mindset is expanding all the time how do you view this topic
2: yeah um well growth mindset is just really quickly for those who don't know it's you know it's it's really well researched um piece of of science really um by Professor Carol Dweck out of Stanford University, it's got a huge team behind it, and it's been in the sporting world now for the best part of a decade. So it's not a secret, but it's kind of it's growing—no pun intended. So um, I guess because I'm a growth mindset tutor, I like that's the lens that I see things sometimes and hear things. And the um, players' interviews—it really when it started album matter, it was like the way they were talking, and particularly Scott McTominay, the way that he talks is like people just know it's good but they don't really know why it's so good and it's not that I've had a, a special it's just I'm looking at this lens and I know that growth mindset has been implemented since 2012 because my boss works for the SFA so he's been, been telling me you know and um Scott McTominay said something so interesting it was uh it's always stuck with me and I always use it he's just like he's just kind of shrugs dismissively of like oh can you handle this type thing and he he, he just said um in a press conference all our goals are ahead of us now and that mindset is so powerful like it's so freeing um when you actually grab hold of that and think yeah you're right all our goals are ahead of us now and you can see since then I think that was after the Cyprus game you can see since then that the players really believe it you know they really believe that there's um hold on a minute we we are we're a good side like we are a really good side and actually, let's play like a good side. And you heard McTominay say it after McGinn scored an overhead kick. He kind of dismissed it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was brilliant because he was like, John McGinn can do that. Like, this is, mm-hmm. we should be doing stuff like this. Not that we should be scoring overhead kicks. If they I mean, my heart would be totally dropped out of my chest if I had to rely on that, but... Um, it's just, it's almost not surprising anymore that we're doing wonderful things, do you know what I mean? And I think it's holding on to that and going, that's because of quality. That's because of hard work and effort and quality. That's because of practice, that's dedication. That's not just a magic wand. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the poem, sorry to refer to it, the wand has been broken, you know, the curse is no more. It's like, mm-hmm. there's no that. secret, no secret here. It's its hard work and dedication and application. And we have blooming good players, players, um, you're
1: going to cause anyone a a, a a load of bother, so yeah. Well, let, let's discuss who the players might be on Monday, Gordon. Just when we were briefly touching on it at the start, I, I think you're right. We all probably could guess at least nine, eight, ten of Clark's starting eleven. Now, I know you're an advocate for Dykes and Adams up front together. They they look good, and I think they've they've slotted into quite a nice partnership there. Uh, I'm not opposed to it. I don't think they'll do it. Uh, I, I think that Ryan Christie will play. I think that Clark has extreme faith in trusting Christie and I think he'll play off one striker with John McGinn.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can certainly see that for sure. I mean, obviously, Clark, while while we have had pretty a lot of consistency in terms of selection and setup, there have been very subtle changes between games in that sometimes, you're right, it is... Dykes and Adams very much playing off each other. Sometimes it's one central striker with kind of two, I guess, free eights, if you want to call them that, playing off. Sometimes that's McGinn and Christie. So I could certainly see either. I would be I would be more led to believe, just from my own perspective, that we'll see that sort of set up with one central striker at Wembley on Friday. And I was thinking over the weekend that if 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 there is only going to be one central striker, the argument kind of is that it has to be Dykes, I think rather than Shea Adams. Because I think just the, the way that Dykes set the template in Belgrade for that kind of game where we are going to sit in deep and try and play on the counter, that he can win every header, win every flick on, bring his attacking midfield players into play. So as much as I absolutely adore Shea Adams, and I think he brings so much to this team, and he will continue to do so, if it is going to be one striker, I, I, I would then say it should
1: be Lyndon Dykes. Is Dykes the man? Up front, Andy, or, or or is it we choose she oh. Adams and decide who plays with him?
2: So can I offer a different point of view just in case um, what do anyways, us, I, so <laughs> it's not totally rogue though. Um I think you'll go with two up front. Um reason being, I mean, I listened to your podcast with Thomas Danacek. so um it was excellent, Gordon, but also he spoke to pure football as well, and it was slightly different. And then listening to I don't know if you fans of the TIFO football channel on YouTube, but that's where i get any of my tactical <laughs> insight at all. And what everyone was kind of saying is that their centre-back pairing is their biggest weakness. Um, they're not mobile. They're they're, they're not quick. Um, our Dykes and Adams, as we spoke about last time, are both their physicality and um, their ability to get around, combined with our technique, is... Means are going to be a huge handful, and the Czechs play a four at the back, so it's just two centre backs, two centre backs. So mm-hmm. we might, because we're at home, because we basically need to win this game, I think. Then, um, or we're certainly going to go out, set up to win. I think two up front might actually, and and then what I think we'll do is that we'll 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 look to hit them, um, be via you know Tierney or. Henry, if he's playing right centre back, you know we've we've been looking for these out balls all the time where the striker drops into the gap and then we 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 play it up to them and they either lay it off to the wing back or they put it back to to the pivot who plays it to the wing back, you know that type of thing. So we 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 need more mobility up front than maybe just a central striker. It's what it's what I would offer there. Christy, I totally agree. Andy, I think he's been, I think he's never let himself down. In a Scotland shirt, I think he's been absolutely brilliant for us, and he certainly is like he's like a he's like a bee. He just buzzes constantly up front. He chases everything. He harries, he, but I don't know if he's got like the physical. Well, he's not got the physical capabilities that uh, that Dikes and Adam bring, and I think we might need both of them. Um, whether it's the right center center right center back or the left center back hitting them with those balls, because we're going to need to get up the pitch. Um, and into the area that the Czechs are weakest. He's he's he's,
1: so, quite, he's quite aggressive, Christy, but he doesn't have the same natural strength as the other two. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: and I, I think I think as well that if, I mean I I am an absolute advocate that we do play two up front because as of as we said all along that I think the Czech game is must win for us. If if we have ambitions of going to the knockout stage, I think it's, it's so 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 essential that we start with a win just to get the momentum going, get the three points in the bag. And I think as well, especially if you consider that they are going to play with a back four with two centre-backs, if Dykes and Adams can effectively occupy them, just look how good John McGinn has been in terms of finding pockets of space outside the box when defenders have been dragged out of position. That's Mm -hmm. where he's plundered 10 goals in the last year and a half. So, yeah, I I think we should definitely be doing that. I mean, I think the combination of pace and power that Dykes and Adams brings, it's, you know, Thomas Danacek that I spoke to in the Czech Republic, He's very concerned. He's very, very concerned at what those two can do mm. to his defence. So, yeah, like I said, it's about going out and grasping that opportunity and go for it.
2: Yeah, and I think that's where they're weakest. Crucially, I think that's what it comes down to. It's like it's playing the game on our terms where they're weakest. I think that's what we need to do. Um, so they're technically very good. So so let's not play to their strengths. You know, let's let's make sure the ball is on top of our centre halves. And make sure their centre halves are having to move constantly. Um and for that to happen, sorry, I it's okay to go into this. Uh McTominay, I think we need to see a total, totally colossus colossal, sorry, yeah. totally colossal performance from Scott McTominay, Like a Europa League, like PSG away, Barca at home, Man City away, you know, where he just dominates. Um we really need McT in there doing that, I think, to, to free up to, to get his ball back, but also to free to, to to put us in the front foot. I think that's going to be crucial. Is
1: will he be coming into direct contact in midfield with Suchik?
2: I think it's more Derrida. I think I think De is their kind of floating ten. Um and he's a very technically gifted wee player. So but the wee player don't actually know if he's wee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um but McTominay sees the big games approaching and kind of seems to run, meet them head on. You know, he's that kind of player. So we really, we need him to have that game, I think. um, And just boss that midfield, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go. No, no, no. I I don't
1: think that we we need to spend much time discussing who will be playing in centre mid. I know that there's been debate around Gilmore. For one, I I can't see it, guys. I think that McGregor and McTominay will be the two there. Agree? Yes. Yeah, Certainly. Yeah. from the start, definitely. I know that plenty, plenty of people would like to see Gilmore in there, and I think he will get game time throughout the tournament because mm-hmm. um, he, he's, he's too good not to, really. But yeah, the Clark Clark has his loyalty and his faith in, in the players um, that have have done well for him so far. Um, so I think it will be McTominay, McGregor, and then McGinn in front, and then with the discussion we just had, is it then going to be another midfielder next to McGinn like Christy It will be Christie, Armstrong, Fraser. Turnbull, mm-hmm. and Fraser, maybe. And uh, or two up front, as we just mentioned there, um, so that that that's uh, that's one part of the field. The the full backs are set. Can't see Patterson starting over O'Donnell Donnell uh, and Robertson on the other flank. Tierney will play centre half. The other two centre halves are maybe quite interesting um, because everyone really in the squad has has done fine or well when when called upon in in, in those positions at centre centre half and right centre back. It doesn't feel like a a toss up because I feel that Clark does prefer Hanley and Henry, but Cooper, Gallagher, and McKenna could easily come in. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I've I've
1: got complete confidence in all of those guys. I mean, you're right.
0: They've they've all got, you know, we've we've spoken before, you know, especially when we're doing doing the on the plane series, we kind of spoke about the kind of the money in the bank that each player had in terms of recent Scotland performances. And frankly, all of those defenders have got a fair amount of money in the bank. I mean, Declan Gallagher's mm-hmm. still got Mitch Rich in his back pocket. Um, Liam Cooper I thought was phenomenal against the Netherlands I thought he was one of the standout performers against the Netherlands so he would more than merit a start and yeah McKenna has certainly got a fair few impressive games for Scotland as well I think for consistency I think it will be Hanley and Hendry and I'm more than happy with that but you're right it's just it's, it's an exciting time and we've spoken before about the dearth of options that Scotland have had at centre back that now we've got multiple that we'd be equally happy with it's mm. it's crazy oh. Oh.
1: sorry Andy sorry Andy go <laughs> Uh, I feel it's important to dispel a myth about Hanley that I feel maybe a lot of people might not know. I certainly didn't. Uh, I I was just
2: going to say that, so that's good that we both were (laughs) going to say the (laughs)
1: same thing. I I did a podcast uh, myself and Rory Hamilton went on to a podcast the other day with hosted by Stuart Hodge, who is a journalist covering various, or working for various companies, and it was good fun. And he did a lot of work down at Norwich City over a few years and he's a big Norwich fan now, so obviously he keeps close tabs on the boys um, at Naismith when he was there and, and McLean and, and Hanley now. Hanley is the second fastest player at Norwich. Wow. Off the ground, which I would have never predicted. He's, he's, he's second in the speed trials this season at Norwich. So that's incredible. yeah, and I would never have have guessed that, and I think it's just because he's quite a he's got a big wardrobe frame, quite a big head lumbering figure Like you can't imagine him being quite sprightly on his feet, but yeah, there we go, uh, so I think that's quite quite uh, comforting to have that yes his primary goal is probably to to do what Gallica did in Serbia and just go and win the ball, clean people out, take care of business, but if we are caught out he he can get back in time, I would like to imagine, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he's 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 almost like a like an alligator, where you know they sort of <laughs> just like they, they sort of just like sit in the in the in the water and
1: then they pounce, and their speed over a short
0: period is unmatched, and that's how they're apex
1: predators. It's uh, it is, uh, Andy. It's it's very deceiving that stat, isn't it?
2: Aye. Well, do you know, it's not even the start that I was going to throw your way, which is brilliant, so <laughs> I didn't know that at all. Um, but again, I came across a similar stat, which was, um, and it's totally legit, I think he has the highest pi- passing accuracy for a centre-back in the Championship this season. OK, he's centre-backs, you know, um, often it's, it's the ball out to the wing or whatever, and it's quite safe, but it shows the level of consistency, and again, it goes against the grain of what people think. Grant Hanley is. Um, you know, Daniel Farker plays a great brand of football. I've not seen much of it, but I listened to Chris Sutton enough to know that it's it's very good. Um and I think you know you saw elements of that when he was in the Premier League. So it's really exciting that he trusts Hanley to not just be his captain but also be that ball playing centre half, but also be winning those balls, you know, that we know Grant Hanley does and be a threat going forward for for a set of pieces, so yeah, I'm I'm delighted to see the growth in Grant Hamley's game, he's, yeah, what a talent, he, he, he is at 20, 28, 29, yeah, late 20s, yeah, so good few years, yeah,
1: do, do, we, do, we, do we expect him to be the starter then, guys, and centre, centre back,
2: yep, for me, yep, definitely, yep. probably, although if it's Cooper, it's no great loss, I'm a big fan of Liam Cooper, captain of Legion IT. But We know things similar attributes.
1: Great player. Yeah, another fair point actually made the other day that yeah, Scotland play three, and I think the the idea for a right footer to be on the right side is so that they can play the ball down the line at a an inverted uh, curved, be an inverted curve would it, or yeah, whatever the, you can see what I mean down the line. Aye, the, aye. I know what you mean. Aye, uh, yeah. Um with the right foot uh, for a or for somebody who's to run from midfield McGinn or whatever. But the, is this really that vital? Like, could Liam Cooper play there with a, as a left-footer? Because uh, somebody made a good point recently that in history, there have been dozens and dozens of strong centre-half partnerships with, where they're both right-footed and nobody says a thing. But as soon as it's two left-footers, yeah. people are like, oh, no, you, you can't have that. You, you can't have that. You need a right-footer in defence.
2: The that, one yeah. that sticks out, to, sorry, Gordon. You, uh, the one that sticks out to me is John Terry was able to play with. Who was it? He played with <laughs> A fan of it sometimes. But they were both right. Yeah, Car- Carvalho. That's right. But Terry always played in the left because he was so able. You know, if this was Pez, like <laughs> his weak <laughs> foot frequency would be like really strong. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, he, he was able to to play that inverted pass with his left foot because his distribution was so good with his left foot. And I think it's about. Yeah, okay. You might be able to get through most of the game with, you you know, using your strong foot. But in the in the occurrences where you do need to find an out an out ball with your weaker foot, it needs to be, needs to be on the money. You know, it needs to be good. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I would say to that. Whether or not that answers your question, I've no
1: idea. That means <laughs> that mean it's vital though that it's either Gallagher or Henry that plays on the right side of of the three garden. I think, I think whoever it is, I think I think
0: they do need to be comfortable on their right foot, because I think certainly if the Czechs are going to come and press us high, you do need to have that tool in your in your locker in terms of curling a ball out to the wing-back. I mean, I think it was certainly the... Was it the away game Nations League against Slovakia when Andy Considine played right-side centre-back? And you could just tell every time he got the ball, he didn't have that confidence on his right foot, so he always had to cut back onto his left. And it just... It shrunk the size of the pitch that we were playing yeah. on considerably, and obviously with the wing backs, we are that's where we're getting the width into the team. So I don't know that we can afford to to shrink a, a pitch like that. So yeah, so who, whoever it is, even if they were a, a left footer, they've got to be comfortable enough on their right foot to be able to get the ball out in a in a tricky situation.
1: Is Jack? You have no problem with Jack Hendry, because I, th- I, I I rate him and I think that he will go on to have a a much stronger career than people might have expected two or three seasons ago. And I've seen Scots Abroad uh, Scots abroad keep a close eye on him and they posted some stats recently. And I'm, I'm, I might be slightly off here, but it was in the rough ballpark of passes over the halfway line towards the striker's feet. It was like 97% success rate or something like that. And his recovery and stuff was really good too. So I think that if it's not, I don't think it's wise just to look at the game through the, through the scope of stats and numbers, but mm-hmm. when we're watching Jack Kendrick now for Scotland, we're not watching him with with our hearts in our mouths. Andy,
2: no, not at all. I, I'll. He exemplifies a growth mindset. That boy, he's what a job he's done. I mean, there's the space cadet video, which is hilarious, but also brilliant, brilliant that you're, you know, you're going to a a, a different country and you care that much about what happens that you're you're going to scream at your, your teammate, you know, it, it just shows the confidence and the growing confidence that he has in himself and his ability. And I think we saw that against the Dutch in particular, didn't we? I mean, um, the, the goal, not least the pressing, and then what a finish, like what a <laughs> lovely finish. So he's, he's always, I think people who know Jack Henry, um, they all know that he was a ball playing centre half and in dirty comments, like he's able to pick a pass and, um, it didn't work out for him, for him at Celtic, and I, I fair play to him. He's, re, he's reinvented himself and just yeah. hard work, application. I, I, th- yeah. I think
1: you're, you're bang on with that, Andy. I was, you uh, know, I was working, I was doing a shift at the BBC towards the end of the season, and we were talking about who might be getting included in the Scotland squad. And one of the guys that was working there at the BBC on the day had been, had been involved uh, in the Scotland setup at some point, and he said that they, they would literally during training have to say to Hendry, roll up your sleeves, get in about it. If they were doing a rondo or possession or whatever, he was just not interested and, and he would be getting shouted at, come on, Jack, put some effort in and, and he just would like shrug his shoulders and just not care. And I think that's part of the reason why it maybe didn't work out for him when he made his move to, to a big club like Celtic. He just didn't have the motivation or the drive to go and make himself better. But I think the way that his career has panned out over the last 18 months, two years, something's switched for him up there and it's and it's changed the way that he approaches his, his game now. Mm. So the, the thing about Jack Hendry, especially that Space Cadet video that I found so heartening
0: was that if you watch the video back, he's defending himself because it's one of his teammates that's coming at him and he's really standing up for himself and fighting back hard. And frankly, if you watch the clip of that goal back that he conceded, there is no way that was Jack Hendry's fault. So he had every right to. So I think... It's really pleasing. You know, like you were saying about maybe Jack Hendry, something switched. Maybe he's got more confidence. I mean, that that says it all to me that he can really fight back against his teammates. So, yeah, great to see for him. Absolutely delighted for him. And hopefully he starts on Monday.
1: Well, Jack Hendry, he will be getting a move this summer. It looks like Ostend are going to take up the option to buy him if they haven't already. It's, it's been quite a, a weird one to keep up with that when I heard that they had and then they hadn't. But I think it's, it's going to happen. So um, I hope they... Continues to kick on over there, and then I'm sure that he'll get another another move on top of that. It kind of leads us in nicely to a question that came in from the Football Memories podcast, asking which Scotland players are in the prime position to get a move after this tournament if they play well. Is a really good, really good question, and something that I think, based on previous tournaments, it completely is backed up. All it takes is a big one, big performance, and that can be you set up for a life-changing. Amount of money or opportunity in a, in a stronger league. Okay,
0: I think I think El in two thousand
1: two was probably with <laughs> <done laughs> yeah, the post boy pa-
2: for us. Papa off as well. Yeah,
1: exactly, yeah, for so post post tournament moves. Yeah. yeah, I think that, that, that Ryan Christie is one that will be on the move at some point. I would expect it to be this summer if Celtic want to get any kind of fee for him. he won't be signing a new deal, and it's up in uh, I think it's actually up in January, isn't it? His contract ends so, yeah season, yeah. so if, if he wants to leave now, is it. the Celtic want to get any money from him? It needs to be now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it looks like Christie, regardless of how he does at this tournament, will will be getting a move. It's the usual suspects, mm-hmm. I like think Burnley, Norwich, Leeds, I think, are the ones down south. Southampton. But, was Southampton as well. Of as course, well. he's a Celtic player. I, of course, Southampton want him. <laughs> so, yeah, um, he'll be one that is on the move. Declan Gallagher signed the pre-contract with Aberdeen. What about the others, guys? Any suspects that you can you can suggest here?
0: I think, I think for me, Callum McGregor is probably the other one that stands out as a guy who it is possibly his last big opportunity to make a big move this summer. I mean, obviously, he's been at Celtic for a long time. He's had incredible success at Celtic. He's coming off the back of a poor season, the same as every other Celtic player, frankly. So this could certainly be a big opportunity for him to put himself in that shot window. He's the right kind of age to make a a relatively big move for Celtic. So he's one I'd look to. Beyond that, I I think everyone's pretty well settled. They've either joined clubs relatively recently or they're at clubs that they're not going to leave. I mean, Kieran Tierney's not leaving Arsenal anytime soon. Andy Robertson's not leaving Liverpool, McTominay at Man United. So I guess really the only other one that I would think could have an opportunity is probably John McGinn. I mean, this is a guy who I don't think he's underrated anymore in the Premier League, given what he's done at Aston Villa. But... Aston Villa are still a middle to bottom end Premier League team and if he goes out and has a great campaign scores a couple of goals, he is very eye-catching in his style of play Well,
2: yeah, he and Liverpool certainly... are looking to replace Fijnaldum and I've I've thought for ages, I mean I don't think I'm alone that he, he would be an ideal club mm-hmm. player, yeah, you know so yeah. you never know, yeah he was certainly one that came, came to mind from going but sorry when you go,
1: continue I mean, McGinn's definitely a shout and I think that more than just a handful of clubs in England and maybe beyond have been keeping a close eye on him at Aston Villa, and he's, he's gone from strength to strength. Let me proffer Lyndon Dykes for potential for a move if he has a strong tournament. I think Certainly, that yeah. Uh, he's, a, well, he's a bit of a battering ram, isn't he? I'm pretty sure there are a few managers in England that, that like to use that sort of approach. I wonder if he per- performs anywhere near to the level he did in Serbia, then people will take notice, yeah? Yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly, he, he he seemed to take a little while to acclimatise to the English Championship. You know, considering he was coming from the Scottish Premiership, but certainly he ended the season very strongly. I think was it seven goals in his last ten games, couple of assists mm-hmm. as well. So he's flying into the tournament. And you're right. You know, when it comes to recruitment at any club, a striker who scores goals will always be in demand. So yeah, certainly, if he if he nets a couple this summer, he could have some very interesting phone calls after the tournament.
2: Mm-hmm. He's yeah. been a handful wherever he is. To come back to the first, you know, going back to that famous Celtic uh, Livingston game, or Christopher for Julian, was it? Came out and kind of apologised and said he needed to toughen up. It's like don't apologise, man. You're playing London Dikes. That's uh, he's just quality. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's something surprise and our surprising stat I, I took from Dikes and Adams was like they both had seasons quite quiet good seasons but quite quiet you know Dykes ended strongly Adams ended strongly but um, both their uh, expected goals and assists per 90 were like 0.5 so every other game they'd expected to get a goal or an assist at a really decent level you know and not playing for the best teams in their division which I think just highlights the quality we've got up front now so yeah I'm with you I don't think I think Dykes seems to just make the step up. Took him a wee while at QPR, but he's just, yeah, just seems to trust his ability and, and does what he does and he's really effective at it. So I, I I came in thinking, Gordon, you you had one of mine straight out the bat. It was Callum McGregor. I'd be desperate to see McGregor get a move. I'd love to see him. He was, under Rogers. he was just amazing. Like, such a brilliant player to watch. And I think to get the best out of Callum he really needs a Scott Brown next to him um, to kind of free him up to be a bit more forward-thinking as that kind of playmaking pivot, you know, rather than the... I think he's had too much responsibility to carry Um, this season. I think he's trying to do it all. He looks like a man who's trying to do it all for Celtic. Whereas when he had Ryan Jack next to him in Belgrade... He was, he was brilliant and he got the assist and he was just forward thinking from a deep line position. And it was everything that everyone loves about Callum McGregor. So it would be brilliant to see him flourish in his peak years for Leicester or something like that, you know, um, because Rogers knows the quality he's got and with like an Ndidi alongside him or something, he could he could definitely flourish. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you and Kyle Mack, definitely.
1: Yeah, it does feel like this could be his last real window of opportunity with Celtic in a massive period of transition. I'm sure that the new manager would love him to, to stay around and, and be part of the furniture going forward. But I think that McGregor, even now, will probably realise I'm in my peak. Uh, if I want to test myself at the highest level, nobody's probably going to pay the money that Celtic want in two years' time, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it will need to be now. Back to strikers, Kevin Nisbet had his eye on a move in January down to Birmingham City. Uh, I still think that there will be clubs looking to sign him this summer regardless of how he performs at the Euros, but a goal or two could really change the level that he's looking at, guys. Certainly add an extra zero onto the price tag that I'm sure (laughs) Hibbs will put on him for
0: sure.
2: (laughs) It's so they should, though. Wouldn't it be brilliant if Scottish clubs got more money instead of, like, what, was two and a half million for John McGinn, famously? (laughs) Mental. Although, of course, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm very much led to believe that they have a hefty sell on a percentage. So whenever, <laughs> whenever John McGinn goes, and if, if, if I mean, Hibs will be crossing all every finger that he has a phenomenal tournament, because if he does go for 50, 60, 70 million this summer, I think Hibs will be very well
1: off indeed. Yeah, I think so it. It. he's now in that bracket, isn't he, where if Aston Villa want to sell him, they will command, I would imagine, at least the 40 mark, maybe pushing 50 million.
2: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. What about, um, so Nisbet, sorry, I love Kevin Nisbet. He's just a poacher, isn't he? He's just like, gets a sniff of goal and Mm -hmm. peels away at the back post. I love that. You know, it's like what McCoy used to say about just sniffing out a goal. It's like knowing to be at the back post, front post, trying to hang off and wait the six-yard box, whatever. And his goal against the Netherlands was just, it was a beautiful goal to watch, first of all. From so many perspectives, but what Nisbet does in his movement was just lovely. It was such a composed finish, like to keep it into the ground. And yeah, he'll get goals wherever he goes, I think. The one that stuck out to me was Patterson. What about if Patterson comes in and plays and has an absolute blinder? We we just don't know what's going to happen. It's on the world stage. Um, He's got Tavernier ahead of him, club captain at Rangers. You know, he's a young boy. I wouldn't be, you know, it'd be it very difficult for Rangers to turn down a, a lot of money for him, given they've, they've got Tavernier, who's going to play, basically every, mm. every match. So, um, Patterson was kind of a, a dark horse. It, it depends how many minutes he gets and how he plays, of course. But... I think Rangers will be desperate not to have to
1: sell him at the moment. I'm absolutely desperate. And I'm, I'm still not sure what they'll do, with Patterson this summer. I don't think that they'll try and send him out on loan. I think they'll be content. With having him as backup to Tavernier and giving him maybe fifteen twenty games next season, I don't think Rangers have any intention in in passing him off to Hearts or Aberdeen or a club down south for the season. I think that they're they're pretty set on and giving him the chance to to really get up Tavernier's arse a wee bit and and try and, and try and push him on.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, selfishly from a Scottish and I'm a Rangers fan too, but. I'm a Scottish fan, um, Scotland fan first and foremost. I would like to see him play all the time. I just love watching him play. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just yeah, fantastic
0: football. I, I do, I do agree, but I, I think I, I think Rangers is is the best place for him. And I think, you know, I, I always think, especially when you look at young players, you look at not just the quality of minutes they're getting, but the quality of coaching they're getting, and the quality of coaching that he's going to get at Rangers under Gerard under, under Michael Beale is going to be off a very high level. And you think that next season with Rangers, with Premiership, with League Cup, with Scottish Cup, with potentially Champions League, Europa League, you know, there will be an awful lot of games next season. So I think I think you will see Tavernier have his minutes managed a bit more, given that he's coming mm. towards the tail end of his career rather than the start of his career. There will be plenty of opportunities for Patterson. You saw what happened this season when Tavernier got injured. Patterson was able to step right in and play every game. And obviously, now that Nathan Patterson is in the Scotland squad, he's in the camp, you know... <laughs> There's kind of no reason for him then to drop out, you know, given that he's he's got to a Euro squad having played a handful of minutes this season. If he's then playing more minutes percentage-wise next season, how do you then make the argument that he drops out of the Scotland squad? I don't know how you do it. Especially, I mean, we all remember the days when Alan Hutton, there were times when he was at Aston Villa that he was playing more for Scotland in a season than he was for, for Aston Villa. So, I yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with Nathan Patterson being where he is. He's only 19 years old, so... Development time, more minutes, progress. But yeah, keep an eye on the Scotland squad for sure.
1: The, the, we're just strictly focusing here really on the, the first game and we touched on what we would like to see or what we think Clark will do against the Czech Republic. We're going to do separate preview programmes for England and the Croatia matches. But looking at the group overall, it's important to look at the permutations and how different results and group standings could could put Scotland, what position we can be put in uh, for the last 16 should we get there. So let's take a wee look at what will happen if Scotland win the group, okay? Which in Dreamland and on paper sounds absolutely wonderful, but if we are looking at trying to get as deep into the tournament as we can, is not really a good thing because the winner of our group plays second place from the group with Germany, France and Portugal. Okay, whoever wins our group uh, will have a really tough last 16 time. Now, whoever comes second in our group will play in Copenhagen on Monday, June 28th, against second place from the group which has Spain, Poland, Sweden, and Slovakia. Now, if Spain do the business, that could open Mm -hmm. up a real wee opportunity for whoever finishes second in our group. Now, I think that. Probably, depending on how England and Croatia start, there will be similar conversations that were had at the 2018 World Cup when England played Belgium in the last game and it was realised that if England lost that game and finished second, their route towards the final would be much easier and it proved so they just couldn't get past Croatia in the semis. They had Sweden and Colombia uh, in their knockout games rather than two much harder ones, which Belgium uh, had to overcome. I think they played Brazil, actually, Belgium. Mm -hmm yeah um, and third place in our group um, has three permutations. We will play the first we will either play first from group F, first from group E or first from group B. Now just let's looking at the favorites that means that that would either be uh, Belgium, uh, Holland or no, sorry Belgium uh, and then the, the the group of death, the one with France, Germany and Portugal. So if we finish third and are one of the, the the highest placed third finishers, then we we will have a a really difficult last sixteen tie. What I'm trying to say to you guys here is, if we finish second, and yes, we don't have a crystal ball and, and all the rest of it, but if we can get four, maybe five points here and finish second, and Spain do what's expected of them, then we will have a wee a wee dream we we dream about getting quite far into this tournament, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely yeah. yeah. We, we, we certainly don't want to win the group. I mean, I mean yeah. it sounds mental to say, given that, you know, I, I, th- I think whatever way we can make the knockouts, you know, we were discussing earlier, no Scotland team has ever made it to the knockouts of major finals. That is the uncharted territory. That is the Holy Grail. You know, we, we, we've made it to the promised land and now it's time for the Holy Grail. So <sighs> it, it seems almost churlish to be debating... Which path through the knockouts we'd rather? Given that, frankly, I would take any of them. But you are right; we really don't want to win this group.
1: Let me let me clarify. Sorry, I made a, a mistake there. Our, our third, if, if we are a best third place finisher, we will play either whoever finishes first in Group B, C, or E. Which, going by the favourites tags, is likely to be Belgium, Netherlands, or Spain. Sorry, not the not the group of death, which is Group F. So, if Scotland are a third best finisher, we are likely to be playing either Belgium. Netherlands or Spain in the last 16. But Netherlands have Ukraine in their group, and I think they're quite fancied in uh, in Group C to actually finish ahead of Holland. So, you know, maybe it could be Ukraine after all. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's an important thing, Andy, to consider because, yes, it would be great to finish ahead of England and, and Croatia and, and Czech Republic and win the group. But where do we draw the line between uh, achievement and just being happy to, to be there because surely, yes, yeah. it would be brilliant, but <clears throat> we would rather have a an easier tie on paper, would we not?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, this is where it's great to have Steve Clark in charge because he said a couple of times recently, in fact, I think this is very much what he's saying to us. It's like the, the listening public is, um, now let me get this phrase right, said, uh, fire in the belly, but ice in the brain. And he's mentioned it now in the last two press conferences. Uh, and in the, you know, they did the Scotland HQ live thing yesterday where he wrapped it up with that. That was his message to the fans, as well as not to get blind drunk, by the way. That's what he said. <laughs> um, but I, I just thought that's, that's brilliant because, again, it comes down to a kind of mindset because it's like, it's very kind of stoic in a sense, but it's not saying, look, don't don't play with, with emotion, like but, but kind of uh, restrain it, you know, that kind of, we are just going to be, we're going to do the next thing, we're going to play to the process and we're going to trust in the process. And I, I don't think, I mean, I think as much as it's nice for us to look at permutations, and I totally agree with you, I don't think the players and Steve Clark will be looking at it. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. No, I think it will be a case of just applying uh, what they've practised and, and that's in a sense the only thing they know what to do but yeah, if I could if I could uh, manoeuvre the groups around you're absolutely right, finishing second is the, is the way to go to get further in the tournament, although there was a great question doing the rounds on Twitter uh, the other day which was would you take scalp in England at, at Wembley you know versus (laughs) like them going further or going to the final or something like that um I think it was Grant Gendel put it up so I thought that was brilliant and it did make me think man is there going to be something happening like say England Scotland win their first two games right are we going to get into the last 10 minutes at Wembley where we're both drawn knowing that Maybe we don't want to win the group, so a point's quite good or something, but we're probably both through. I'd like to see Scotland and England just play out a draw. Well, I'll, tell what, and- I'll, tell you, I'll
0: tell you what, I'll tell you what. Here's the path then England and Croatia draw on Sunday. We win both of our Hamden games. So we beat the Czech Republic, we beat Croatia. We lose at Wembley. We finish on six. England beat us and beat the Czech Republic. They, they finish on seven. They win the group, go out in the last 16. We finish second.
2: We go to the final. Happy days. Never. The same way Wales, Wales did. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, <laughs> the Welsh route. Let's do that. I think Wales, Wales uh,
1: managed to get out of of a tough group. They were narrowly beaten by England, weren't they? Daniel Sturridge or was it Vardy or Sturridge? Mm-hmm. One of them scored later. Right, last minute. Uh, and then remember they beat Russia. 3 know just mm-hmm. just like that in the group stage, drugged was them Amazing. Off. And I I can't remember what their other, other result was. If anyone can jump to mind with that uh, in the group stage. Remember. Not sure. Well, know, have a call. Um, the, uh, but what what they had, and I, I think that uh, Russia for them was a, a really impressive, strong victory. But I don't think it was a marquee victory. That was the Belgium one for Wales. The, mm-hmm. the marquee victory when they knocked out Belgium in the the quarter final. If Scotland get a moment like that, if we progress from the group, say as a third place finisher, and then put Spain out in the last sixteen, or or Belgium, because they could be one of the mm. ones. I mean, that that is, regardless of what happens after that, we could get we could lose three 0 four 0 five 0 in the quarters. Irrelevant, yeah. Really, that that is a really strong tournament showing to get out of a, a group that we're in and then beat a strong team mm. in the last sixteen. You know.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, bear in mind, bear in mind that in 2016 at the last Euros, Portugal drew all three group games, went through as a third place team in their group, and won the tournament.
1: That's crazy. That we we, we, need, right. we need to be careful here as well because the Czech Republic game i think most people are saying you know beat the Czech Republic and that should be us through three points on the board should see us should see us through but looking back to the last year or two seconds I'll just pull it up I, I certainly know that Albania went out on three points and a negative goal difference yeah
0: i think i think i think two teams went through with three points
1: portugal being but one their of them goal difference was better. the goal difference was level like portugal's northern, goal difference was zero northern yeah so albania went out On three points, negative two goal difference. Slovakia went through. That was the other team in England and Wales group. They went through on four. Uh, Northern Ireland went through on three points with goal difference of zero. Uh, Turkey Mm -hmm. went out on three points with a negative goal difference of minus two. And Republic of Ireland went through on four points. And Portugal went through on three points and a goal difference Mm -hmm. of zero. So three points and and a goal difference that wasn't negative was enough to see you through. So if we beat Czech Republic, let's just say 1-0, and then lose was 2-0 to uh, England and 3-1 to Croatia. We are staring down the barrel of getting knocked out in the group stage, despite yeah, the first yep. win. I think we, we really need to be aiming for minimum four points here, I reckon. Four points will see us through. I'm absolutely yep. certain of that.
2: Yep. I think goal difference as well. If you look at the Italy game last night, I mean, they looked brilliant. First of all, they just were a joy to watch, but... We want to be Italy in that game. We don't want to be Turkey, so it goes without saying. But I think you know that kind of third goal for Turkey. I just I watched it go in, and I was like, oh, like three nils is an awful lot more than two nil when we have only got three games to play. Yeah, and we, you know, we let's be honest. Let's, I don't believe in chance and cursing and all that stuff, right? So if we do lose our opening games, check, let's hopefully we don't, right? But if we do. Let's try and lose 1-0. Let's try and lose by one goal. Let's not, like, yeah, go mad and, and throw everybody forward mm-hmm. and then despair when we, when we you know, lose. I yeah. think that's very important to kind of have the long view there because you're right, you still get two games to play, you can still pick up four points in those two games, you can mm-hmm. still pick up six points in those two games, you know. So I think... Um, Anything can happen in football. And we need to kind of, just as Steve Clark said, kind of have that. Uh, what was it? Fire in the belly, but but ice in the brain. So so not charging forward. And- it's, it's important
1: to consider that if that it feels like there's such a massive swell of optimism and expectation around the Czech Republic game that if we lose, then we might as well just forget it, um, and that'll be it done. Because it seems to be that everything rests on this game. But it's important to recognise that. It would be such a massive, massive start, yes, if we do beat them, but it's not over. If they do narrowly beat us, we, mm-hmm. we could, I know the odds will be maybe not stacked against us, but certainly against us. We could nick a point from England and beat Croatia,
0: yeah mm-hmm. well, especially especially if England and Croatia have start with a draw as well, you know because then if we did lose, we're only one point behind both of them. So yeah, you're right, absolutely. you can't, uh, you can't win a tournament on day one. Uh, you can go some way to losing it, as Andy's saying, you know, if, if we do lose by a few. But I I, th- I think the Scotland team has moved past that, you know. Early in Clarks Lorraine, we saw that when, you know, we conceded one against Russia away and then we're 4 0 down 20 minutes later. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't, I just can't see this team doing that now.
2: Yeah, no, I agree completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, uh, unless there's anything else, fellas, I think we've pretty much covered most things there. Um, I don't want to. Uh, go too deep and start asking you for predictions and stuff because we never really know and the the, the the team as we covered probably has eight or nine people cemented in there um, and that we've covered really the strikers and maybe one of the centre-halves. Uh, Gilmore. I know he's on everyone's lips but, uh, and I think a lot of people, maybe even the majority of, of fans especially online now, are shouting for him to, to start. Mm-hmm. Can't see it and, and we agreed that That yeah, McGregor is is going to play. Um, I'm absolutely sure of it. Um, So unless there's anything else you feel we've skipped over, that does us for a check preview, and we can be back on on Tuesday uh, to to discuss how it's gone either way.
2: So exciting! So two nil nil Scotland, by the way. I know you weren't asking, but two nil Scotland. (laughs) Okay,
1: I'll ask you then. I'll ask you. What (laughs) what
2: do you think, Gordon? Uh,
0: One nil Scotland. I'll take that every day of the week.
1: Yeah, one nil would do nicely, wouldn't it? Yep.
0: i just i just want i just want everyone to to enjoy it you know i mean we've waited 23 years and there's there seems to be some folk online that just want to they want to knock us out before we've kicked a ball and these are the best days of our lives right now so let's just enjoy it sports
2: social podcast network